This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 13th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. The Islamic State, as it moves through an unstable Iraq, is more than willing to display its brutality, just as the president begins a new round of airstrikes in the country. Chris Preble, vice president for defense and foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute, evaluates the situation now unfolding. You know, I think we see this intervention, the latest intervention in Iraq, the president announced last week and kind of explained a little bit more before he went on his vacation to Martha's Vineyard uh, what this all entailed. And, uh, you know, there's obviously concern uh, on a couple levels, ISIS, the Islamic State, um, making some gains, uh, you know, uh, persecuting this this group, the Yazidis, is, is under enormous pressure. Um, and so there was a humanitarian component. But I think perhaps more important uh, for the United States, at least at some level, is the is the um, the threat posed to Erbil, the capital of the Kurdish territory, you know, very important city that where, where they had um, made some some gains. The Kurds initially didn't seem capable of uh, of stopping them. I think there was a concern there, and then always there's the uh, doubts about the Iraqi government and the inability of Nouri al-Maliki and the governing coalition to uh, maintain enough support. So there's a lot going on in Iraq over the last week. Um, I think there are two types of criticisms of the president's uh, intervention. Uh, on the one hand, you have people mainly on the left, but not exclusively, who are concerned about the the risk that a limited intervention, either you know just purely for humanitarian purposes or to protect uh, Americans in in Erbil, uh, that uh, limited interventions don't stay limited. This is a valid concern. I, I think we've seen this a number of times, uh, and um, and so you, you know there's there's a, a number of people written about that. But I I'm actually perhaps more intrigued by those people who have the opposite concern, which is this is not nearly enough, that we should be doing more, that we, of course, should never have left in the first place, that we should have been prepared to leave um, thousands or tens of thousands of American troops in Iraq and that this wouldn't have happened, supposedly. It's the usual suspects like John McCain and, and others who have been making this argument to their credit to, to, to you know pretty consistently. Uh, but you also had an incident over the weekend where Hillary Clinton um, gave an interview to The Atlantic's Jeff Goldberg uh, talking about uh, kind of criticizing Obama's foreign policy and the decision not to intervene in Syria as being a, a key uh, episode of, uh, you know, weakness of his indecisiveness or in unwillingness to use military power. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, the president's foreign, uh, uh, ratings, uh, approval ratings are declining, including on foreign policy. So there's a lot going on. And, uh, and so I think uh, trying to sort out the, these criticisms is, uh, is important, not just for what it means for Iraq, but also what it means for U.S. foreign policy more generally. But we have the president of the United States essentially calling for Nouri al-Maliki to step down in so many words. Mm -hmm. And the other option from another the other side of this, the John McCain types who are arguing we never should have left, it seems that the choice between permanent occupation and uh, telling these leaders that just a few years ago, the United States uh, leadership was loudly saying, we're going to let these people stand on their own two feet. Mm -hmm. We're going to uh, let them be in charge of uh, their 
government, it just seems like uh, that that at least that uh, gesture at the time is meaningless. Well, I think it it certainly didn't work out the way we they they had hoped, right? So on the one hand, you, the people like McCain believe that having large numbers of troops on the ground give the United States leverage, and that threatening to withdraw them or or increase them that's where it gets a little confusing. It's like, well, we were going to leave, and we didn't. But if we had stayed, would Nouri al-Maliki have behaved differently? I think there's a good argument that he wouldn't have behaved differently because believing that we had his back no matter what stupid things he did, then you know we didn't want our credibility to be on the line. And we saw that in the case of he, he undertook a number of military operations in the, in the, the height of the surge in 2008 where you know, we were trying to convince him to make certain compromise politically and he refused to do so. But there is this underlying belief, and I think it's not much more than that, it's a belief that uh, the United States had considerable leverage when we had troops on the ground and we lost that leverage when we withdrew. Uh, I don't believe that's true. Um, and I think that there, it, this goes back to why, why do politicians, and Maliki in, in particular, why do they behave the way they do? Well, sometimes it's just because they're not very smart, but I think the more the, the better explanation is that they recognize there are certain they have a coalition, and that a sufficient number of people in that coalition support what they're doing. They're going to c- continue to do it in a parliamentary system. Of course, if you lose a coalition, you lose power. Uh, at least that's the way that's the way it works out. Most, we're going to see if it works out that way in Iraq, because the evidence is that while there is some. Um, uh, weakening within the coalition, even another Dawa Party politician now, you know, challenging uh, Maliki whether or not he will step down um, peacefully. However, uh, awful, and I'm certain he was awful. Saddam Hussein was the uh, reports that we're receiving now about this Islamic State group are far less sympathetic, and I, I think there's got to be a serious concern that. Uh, Americans may well uh, be convinced to support additional action. That's right. Uh, I think that just given the sheer brutality of this group and and their willingness to post their you know evidence of their brutality on YouTube and, and elsewhere um, is uh, is shocking. And I think a number of people uh, uh, are are concerned not just about what they can do in Iraq, but but beyond that. I think, again, I think the, the safe haven argument, the notion that they can create a functioning state and then from that state plan terrorist attacks elsewhere in the world, I think it's a bit overdone. It's been overdone. We know for a fact that terrorists don't always need a safe haven in which to operate or not much of one. Um, we also know that a number of quite uh, safe places you know, are not sources of terrorism and things like that. So there, it's more complicated. Um, but but I also think there's going to be there, there may be a renewed interest in uh, you know kind of providing support to uh, to secular but uh, authoritarian governments kind of going back to the argument from the Cold War era or or since that the the only alternative to extremism is uh, authoritarianism and secularism. And I don't think that's true either. I think we need to be careful about believing that there are only two options that that will work for U.S. interests and to be a little bit more um, uh, sophisticated about it and looking at the uh, these on a case-by-case basis. What authority does the president cite in uh 
launching attacks in Iraq now? Uh, they, they cite the authorization to use military force in 2002 that was granted by Congress uh, for, to President Bush. Um, and, and I think, again, there, there are problems with that. But it's not the same as the intervention in Libya, for example, which had absolutely no, not even the, the patina of, of, you know, congressional authorization. They cited the UN Security Council was sufficient. Um, so I, I've actually, I've heard, I've gotten some responses from uh, readers on uh, emails, you know, saying, well, what about this question about the authority? And I said, well, it's not ideal, but it's better than some of the alternatives. Um, this would be an argument, frankly, for... Uh, first of all, not granting the president, for Congress not granting the president blanket authority to wage war whenever he feels like it just by naming the country, which is what the, the authorization to use force against Iraq was. But it's also an argument for having sunset provisions in those authorities to actually have them terminate at a, at a set time or at least force Congress to go back on a record and reauthorize. They haven't done that. Uh, and therefore, you have effect, potentially an open-ended uh, authorization uh, for, for this continued, uh, for these types of activities continuing. President Obama doesn't like boots on the ground, and that is true. And I think uh, I'd like to believe that's to his credit, uh, understanding that there is a, a slippery slope toward moving into that kind of engagement. But also, he seems very willing to drop a lot of bombs in mm -hmm. places, which uh, in many cases, you would hope makes the situation better. But in um, most cases, it seems makes the situation Worse, right? Well, it's certainly not a it's certainly not a silver bullet. We would, you know, we would like to be able to limit the exposure of U.S. personnel to casualties when those. But the but the the issue should be uh, at the outset. What's the vital interest being being addressed here? Does the military action being undertaken uh, serve our interests? Uh, and if it does, then then there are some cases where we are willing to to put our troops in harm's way because they're you know serving a, a higher interest. I think if anything the. The, the reluctance on the part of the president to make a case for more for deeper involvement uh, belies his belief that it's really not worth that much in the first place. He's trying to. It seems to me he's trying to to assuage some of his critics who are you know who are going after him for not doing enough. Uh, but he's not also not willing. I think again for for perfectly sensible reasons, not willing to go to the American people and say effectively that two thirds of them are wrong about Iraq and that we are going to refight this war all over again. Chris Preble is Vice President for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.